Welcome to our Jackson home. This is Kevin, and we are here with a, a guest this week who works in the courts downtown, Bart Swift, who's the court clerk for the juvenile court. And um, he's going to be sharing with us about his experience in Jackson and some unique family relations that he has. But um, Bart, welcome to the podcast. Hey, glad to be here, Kevin. I appreciate being invited. Uh, yeah, well, I had some people tell me that I really needed to interview Bart Swift, <laughs> and so uh, I, so I wanted to follow through with that. And and so if you have any other suggestions for the show, feel free to hit me up on Twitter or email me. Um, but Bart. If you had to tell someone really quickly who is Bart Swift, how would you respond to that? Well, I, um, I am, uh, I think the product of, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and uh, born to a, uh, to a set of wonderful parents. I have an older sister, younger brother, wonderful grandparents. I was so blessed to grow up in a Christian home. And um, uh, my mother was... Uh, an excellent student went to Ward Belmont, which is what it was back then. Well, so it didn't used to be Belmont. It was Ward Belmont, which was oh. kind of a um, kind of a ritzy girls' college. Uh, her, my grandfather was; they, she would have probably been on the lower end of some of the echelon, but mm-hmm. still, for that time, you know, he was a vice president and. Uh, terminal manager for Hoover Motor Express, which was later bought by Ryder. But, okay. but um, uh, my mother was an excellent student, went to, and then went to Peabody for a year, which is now part of Vanderbilt. It's the, mm-hmm. It was a Peabody, George Peabody School College for Teachers, okay. and it's the educational college of Vanderbilt now. So great student, and my, my dad was eight years older. Uh, uh, he uh, came back from World War II, and I would be remiss not to say today is December 7th, and uh, 59 years ago today is what brought him into that, being yeah. drafted. He was uh, went to the South Pacific with, in the Army. Wow. Okay. Uh, was Won the Bronze Star. Wow. Uh, got shot, got malaria, but survived, came back, and opened a grocery store in Nashville in 48. A larger one in 53 was uh, having a very successful business. And uh, as I say, uh, until I was 11, we had the— little puppy dog in the white picket fence. Yeah. And then my father passed away of brain cancer oh, at 43. Oh, wow. And I was 11. My mother later remarried, and uh, we were into another family with, they had three children, so there was eight of us. Oh, and uh, <laughs> That's a change. Yes. Yeah. My stepfather was a Frito-Lay route salesman. So, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, you know, you, 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 you are what you are, you know, it was a different and, and not what you would choose, but, but uh, you know, and I, I was telling Shannon actually today, I said, you know, about coming to Lambeth, I said, part of it is, you know, when your two families are thrown together, it's more difficult, and I was really, uh, I've always been a big Vanderbilt fan, I doubt I could have gotten in, but anyway, <laughs> I, I, I probably could have gotten in Belmont at the time, and, but, yeah. or, or some other college around Nashville, but I wanted to go out of town. Mm-hmm. I was, our, our family was very involved at the Methodist Church. I was president of the MYF, if you're familiar with that. No, what is that? That's the youth group. Okay. Yeah. uh, uh, And Methodist Youth Fellowship. And uh, we had a pretty good sized church. And uh, uh, anyway, just involved with the church, very active. And so kind of looking for a private college. And and at that time, Martin College in Pulaski was a junior college. And... um, 
so that was for that conference. We were in that conference. The uh, Memphis Conference, which is West, West Tennessee and mm -hmm. West Kentucky, uh, their college was Lambeth College. Gotcha. And found out about it, made a visit, fell in love with it, came here, fell in love with it even more. Yeah. And, and uh, just really loved Lambeth and loved that experience. And uh, sad it's gone, but, but happy that it was saved by University of Memphis and, and uh, the people in Jackson that, that helped that make that happen. So Yeah, uh, we just had Niles Riddick on. Yeah last week and and uh, so if all you listeners out there want to learn more about what's going on there you can check out the Niles Riddick podcast he seems like he's doing great work out there no doubt he was he was set I spoke to him yesterday in the in the greeting part of church he mm -hmm. it, uh, he was sitting behind us in church and uh, yeah that uh, seems to be going just extremely well so, so what did you study at Lambeth I was a marketing and management uh, okay. major in, in business and uh, uh, Graduated, came here in 69, graduated in 73, and kind of immediately went to work in, uh, actually, radio sales, actually. Okay. And um, kind of after a year or so, I, I kind of felt like I just wasn't very good at selling an inanimate object. I, <laughs> I went to work for a clothing store in town, and uh, as I was about to get married, my wife encouraged me to do something to make a little more money, which was <laughs> was uh, outside sales. Went to work for the oldest company at that time in Jackson, in Jackson, Tennessee. It was Gucci and Hardware, and it was so I traveled on the road for them. Okay. And uh, thank the Lord, yes, did make some more better money, and and uh, bought a house on Lambeth. And uh, our my daughter who was born uh, in '79 at that time, and. Uh, they ultimately closed. I think at that time it had been open for about 132 years. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, went to work for Townsend Supply, then into the opportunity to get in the restaurant business. And uh, yeah, before we jump into that, yeah, where where tell so you've got uh, you've got a daughter. I do. I have. I'm married to uh, my wife is Debbie, uh -huh. and I, I can't say how awesome and wonderful she is. The best cook in Jackson, just unbelievable. I have the most beautiful daughter in the world, uh, just uh, just amazing. Uh, grew up here, uh, went to school here, uh, as I said, went to school with Ben Ferguson, okay. a, a UT grad, went to UT and uh, graduated, moved to Nashville, worked there for about seven years and got married and in 08 and um, meets this guy who's six years older. He's a UT grad, uh, industrial engineer, doing extremely well, goes to visit his parents in Muncie, Indiana, where his dad was working then. A Yankee. No. No. He working there. I like Yankees. I mean, oh, oh, I, I like Yankees, Yankees too. <laughs> but um, sends me a picture back on my phone, which wasn't much of a picture back in 07 or whatever mm -hmm. that was. And I said, why is she sending me a picture of me in college? Both of them went to Lambeth. Really? I actually knew his dad. Well, that's pretty neat. His mother was uh, uh, a couple of years older, so I didn't go to school with her, but I knew his dad. And uh, uh, his dad, my son-in-law's grandfather, actually was a doctorate, had his doctorate in, in, in theology and was a Methodist minister in the, this Memphis conference. So mm. anyway, they got married, and we now have two grandchildren. Uh, okay. The first is four named 
completely after me, James Barton, is his name is James Barton Morrison, and uh, we just had a granddaughter three months ago, Mary, Mary Lee. So oh, well, that's, congratulations. Uh, thank that's you exciting. so much. It's, a, it's uh, you know, you can't even, expl- I mean, I, I always said my daughter was so wonderful that I would never say all those saying things, all those things, if, you know, if I'd, <laughs> if I'd have known that, I'd have had them first and all that, and they're grand, I know why they call them grand. And they are, but my, I, it is something certainly special about grandchildren, no, no Absolutely. doubt about it. So, yeah. so uh, great family. Yeah, you were starting to mention that you got into the restaurant business. Yes. Now, what I know about the restaurant business is that it can be extremely, extremely difficult. So why would someone choose to go into the restaurant business? Well, we, we may gonna be, get into this later, but uh, this uh, Catfish Cabin opened in in uh, 1980 in Jackson. Mm-hmm. And uh, a guy named Danny Ridgeway came up here to run the restaurant. Danny was uh, played football at University of Alabama for Bear Bryant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but they also threw, uh, by chance, through a hunting trip, um, the people that owned the restaurant, Mr. Carl Perkins, my father-in-law, went to this deer hunting trip, uh-huh. met these people, they talked him him to being a partner, kind of tying his name into the restaurant. Figured that wouldn't hurt. Gotcha. Yeah. So he bought just a small part of it, mm-hmm. as and um, so Carl was an owner. And uh-huh. uh, after it was open, about fifteen months, wasn't really doing that well um, south of town. That was kind of odd. Everybody mm-hmm. said everything's got to be north of town. So where was it at? Now? What's well, there now? It, it, it's the, it's it's still there. Okay. Oh, going strong. Thirty-five years later. Uh, oh, the catfish. Catfish cat. Okay, sorry. Yes. So yeah. That's okay. I understand yeah. now. And uh, so, actually, I can remember uh, sitting down with Mr. Perkins and Danny at, at Mr. Perkins' house, and they talked. Danny was looking for. He had a manager that had left. Mm-hmm. Assistant manager. He was looking for more of a partner, someone to help him. Mm-hmm. And they talked to me about it, and basically, at about twenty-eight years old, it was. Hey, we'll even sell you part of it, and I was like, "Wow, owning yeah. part of a business! This this sounds like coming from my dad's experience in in the re- in grocery business, and I guess I had that entrepreneurial fire at that time." I said, mm-hmm. "Damn, that's exciting!" And so I dove in, and what was amazing, <clears throat> not lifting me up, definitely lifting Danny up. He, uh, amazing guy one of my best friends in the world, mm-hmm. passed away of brain cancer in 08. He was 56 years old. But joined in, and I think it was just, as I say, it was one of those, quote, marriages that worked where maybe he had a lot of strong points, maybe I had some, but yeah. our weak points, and it, it sort of covered. And within a year, it was making quite a bit of money yeah. within three years it was doing extremely well and has has since then so it was it was just a great connection so I was there for about 11 and a half years at, at uh, before I decided that I kind of wanted to do my own thing I guess so yeah so are you still involved there at all or? I, I'm not I, okay. I sold out when I did that and uh, as you say restaurant business my my comment on restaurant business is two, two main comments you don't own them they own you, yeah. and it's a young man's business. Yeah. <laughs> and at 64, I, I still feel quite fit and everything, but uh, 
I'm I'm glad I'm out of it now, you know. But uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty pretty good, pretty hard grind. Yeah, I had a friend who recently sold his portion of his restaurant, yeah. and um, just uh, I could see the stress just released from him yeah. as he yeah. did that. Well, I said I said two things. I left out one, is or if you're in the restaurant, you need to make a whole lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that. because you. You work for it. You work hard. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, is that winning uh, covers up a lot of stuff, right? No, absolutely. <laughs> um, right. Well, we're going to go into the first break, and then we're come back, and we're going to talk about your role in the court system. Okay. Um, and what that looks like, because a lot of people, um, I imagine that listen to this podcast, probably don't have a lot of interaction with the court system. True. At least I hope you don't, listeners. <laughs> um, at least hopefully it's in a good way if you do. And uh, so we're going to head into the first break, and we'll be right back with more from Bart Swift. And you are listening to the R. Jackson Home Podcast. with the R. Jackson Home Podcast. I'm here with Bart Swift, and Bart is uh, the clerk in the Madison County Juvenile Courts. Um, what does that mean? I'm uh, When I think clerk, I often think, um, you know, someone at the front of a, a retail store or something. Right. I don't think they've got... Um, big checkouts and things at the uh, <laughs> at the court so so help me understand what that is we we are in somewhat kind of the retail it would, we're not selling anything but we we do uh, have a um, uh, we do receipt money and and the the simple explanation or j- description of my job is is keeper of the records and collector of the fees and uh, we uh, have about 14,000 active cases. We have uh, we received about a million dollars a year that includes child support, fees, and fines. Um, the job actually was is on the same level as a circuit court clerk or G- general sessions clerk. Uh, was created in uh, 1990. Uh, Lacey Bond was there for 16 years, four terms, and. Uh, I ran against him in 06 and was successful in, in winning that race and have been there since then. Uh, it's also management of my staff. Mm-hmm. So how, big, um, how many people do you have? I have uh, six, actually six and one part-time who's just a maintenance guy, but actually six that work for me. And that's, and uh, it's, um, this, we besides collecting the fees, and when you say keeping the records, the the the, the other the, the big thing is is all the paper that's being moved. There's and, a lot and, of paper, and I know you're probably going to go get to how about paperless? You know, and yeah. and, uh, and when you have uh, uh, that many files, I mean, it's hundreds of thousands, and uh, there's always the money issue with mm-hmm. you know turning that over to paperless, but. Uh, Anyway, we um, we're actually there also to take money, to take petitions, to get into court, to receipt fines, but almost the, the main and and to prepare for court, to prepare the files and all the documents that continually come in to go in the files properly, and when the docket's set to prepare those files, and have a clerk there beside the judge when court goes into session that mm-hmm. here's file number one case number one here's the file for the judge to open and handle that case gotcha. um it's uh, you sent you essentially set up the, the judge you know, to be able the to judge where the, the judge basically 
and, and in our case, she, Judge Christy Little, comes in and she wants to be, you know, her preparation is in her law degree and her experience and all that. She doesn't need to necessarily, I mean, I'm not saying there's times they don't review a file before, mm-hmm. but our cases are so different. There are, there are no OJ trials, you know, <laughs> yeah. year-long trials. We hear about, or Judge Little hears, probably 150 cases a week. Many of our cases in child support court and things like that may last five minutes. Gotcha. So it, it's not, it's um, a high volume. It is a high volume. And, and, um, and uh, so it, it's, it, it's having those prepared to where when she opened the file, the case is presented by the DA or the private attorneys and she's there prepared to look at whatever information to make and hear the uh, testimony and then make, make the decision that uh, she is there to make. So that's, but. Uh, what, uh, and so, you know, that, that's a lot of things. It's a lot of paperwork type stuff. Yeah. What was that, what about that was exciting for you to say, I want to run for this office? Well, before I answer that, one more thing is that people don't think about is, is people call out a lot and say, if I, I know Judge Little or if I could speak to Judge Little, well, you can't speak to the judge mm-hmm. before a hearing. She would have to recuse, he or she would have to recuse themselves. So we are the front line okay. for all yeah. the uh, basically problems. I mean, most of the people we deal with, not all. I mean, some people come in, they're paying their $200 a month. Hey, the ladies are nice. It's no different than a sale at a, at a retail store. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, I guess two things I would like to say about that. We, we handle the problems and we, we're not attorneys. We can give, yes, if this is your problem with custody, we have someone that can help you or, mm-hmm. or let's say visitation. We have a person that works that, that can mediate visitation that is no cost through a grant to help people. We can direct them there. If not, they may have to pay uh, $85 to file a petition with the court. Mm-hmm. So we're basically giving sort of direction, not legal advice. But we really, and this is one thing I'd like to say from my business background, is I really stress, and all my ladies and one man are just awesome people. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone, it just so happens, is a good Christian. Mm-hmm. And so we really try to, try to take a good customer service type attitude. Yeah. When so many times you have the, I, I think of the government, type worker where a person walks up to the counter and you know you say and they look up and go basically what do you want yeah well we try to good morning juvenile court good afternoon we try to treat people and try to help people I mean I several calls this morning on and, and conversations on just various situa- situations uh, and try, of trying to help people so that's a real try to keep that spirit mm-hmm. going in there because I, I go back to the restaurant business. I said I always say that when in the restaurant business, if someone walks in generally in a good mood, if you feed them a good meal, you give them good service, they're going to walk out in generally in a good mood. Yeah. Well, most of the people that come in to see us have some type of problem, yeah. and so we kind of have a higher calling to try to try to be kind, try to help them the best way we can. We can't solve all their problems, but mm-hmm. we can be helpful in helping them move toward 
better better situations and better help. So yeah. I think that extends even to uh, the security guards at the front door. Yeah. Um, I've, I, I'm on the board of Madison County Casa. Mm-hmm. Shannon, who you referenced earlier, works in that building. Um, and so I've had to go a couple times. Well, I carry a pocket knife on me all the oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and occasionally I've forgotten to take that out. And they've been very kind and courteous to yeah. me. Uh, and so I think that that's neat to see that even expanding to the, the front door. But okay. so, so back to that elect, like what, what caused you to well, want to run for that office? I, I had kind of, I, I sort of had politics in my blood. If I okay. go back to growing up with, um, one of my my best friend all through elementary school's dad was a a in Nashville was a ultimately a United States congressman and mayor of Nashville. Oh. As I mentioned, when I was um, president of the MYF, our youth director, same high school as that gentleman, also my parents, but uh, that person, his name was Richard Fulton. He actually graduated. He and my mother graduated together. About a, not about. I hadn't thought about that. Exactly 20 years later, there was a guy named Bill Boner. And Bill followed that same path of United States Congressman and Mayor of Nashville. But in his younger years, where he was uh, very involved in education, had his doctorate in physical education, uh, he came to our church as our youth director. Mm. And just knowing him like, and knowing Mr. Fulton, it just kind of had it. Also, my grandfather who was from backing up to my, my dad's side came from, from Montgomery County, Clarksville. Okay. They came to Nashville in 1933. My maternal side came from Coffee County, where my great-grandfather is the former sheriff of Coffee County. So he was elected. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it didn't come from a big political family by any means, but, it, you know, had enough around it to, yeah. to be interested. And so... Kind of had an always interest. I go back to my grandfather, and we would kind of talk politics when I would come home from Nashville when he was kind of fussing at me for not coming home enough to, <laughs> to see him in a, in a loving way. Yeah. But he mentioned one time, he said, you know, you're talking about love of Jackson. He said, Bart, you really do love Jackson, don't you? I said, Grandpa, I really do. He said, you know, I think you're going to be mayor of Jackson one day. And that was always a dream of mine. Yeah. And at 64, doesn't look like it's going to happen, but... Some really good things have happened to mm-hmm. me, and mm-hmm. uh, so backing up to, I I, I, I ran for uh, city council in 1988. Mm-hmm. I came in my district. I came in fourth out of nine people. My first throwing hat in the ring yeah. and willing to get it cut off, <laughs> <laughs> win or cut off. I did, and um, uh, then in uh, 2002, I was still in the restaurant, but I had an opportunity to. Uh, I got a call about possibly being interested in running for a county commission, mm-hmm. which I did. I had two or three people said they were going to run against me. It ended up at the 11th hour. Nobody ran against me, which is highly unusual, even with a small seat, to go and contest it, yeah. to come into a new seat. So on the commission, obviously, I came to learn a whole lot about county politics and mm-hmm. got very involved, was on lots of committees. And actually just saw some things in this office that um, I, I was already out of the restaurant business. I'd gone to work for a bank for a couple of years and saw some things in this office. And these are things that I'll say that I used during the campaign. I was not putting down Mr. Bond. He's a good man, but he had about 12 employees. The place was kind of a mess. Mm. And... Um, 
He had a couple of relatives in there, uh, a sister and, and a niece, and it just wasn't being operated very efficiently. I just saw that and and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to run against him. I did mm -hmm. and, and was able to beat him, hmm. and uh, that was in 06, and, and uh, ran again in 10 and 14, and had, had a little opposition in 10, but they ran in the Democratic primary, and after the primary, they dropped out. So I didn't, mm. in the general election, I didn't have so. So when I went in, it was, what was amazing, the blessing, the God's blessing was, I told him, I said, I talked with my staff. Uh, two people quit that day. I ultimately had to let four people go just to get the staff down to proper, I cut the staff basically in half. Mm -hmm. And I think we run way more efficiently today than we ever have. And I told him, I said, look, I don't know very much about this juvenile court business. I know a little bit about business. And I said, I'm going to work on that end. Y'all keep doing your job and just do it well. Mm -hmm. And I'll learn the other. So it turned out it was almost easy to get in and straighten out the, the business side of it that was just quirky stuff like um, um, co uh, warranty contracts on typewriters that were paying three or four hundred dollars a year mm. and I go oh we can you know um, there was a um, uh, actually a soft tech now they now they're they're into quest which is the juvenile delinquency uh, software that we use for that side of it. Not the, the child support is, is a state side. It's mm -hmm. a TSIS program is that. It. And I was asking about the soft tech and I'd always heard people use their computers for, and this is your end of the work, what they use their computers for, they use the computer screens to put sticky notes on. <laughs> they, didn't have, they didn't have email. Yeah. So we got that going. And when I asked about this soft tech and the renewal on that, it seemed like it was twelve or $1,300 a year they said, I said, well, how, what, what are you doing with that? They go, well, it really, it hadn't been hooked up for the past eight years. <laughs> so we got that resolved yeah. and got that going. And just, and so cleaning all that up took about pretty much, really straightening all that out took just three or four months. It really wasn't that hard. And then I started just to get more involved in the learning the, the, trade. the, the trade, that trade. Exactly right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to head into our second break. Okay. And then we're going to come and come back to something you referenced a little while ago, uh, your father-in-law. Okay. And so, uh, and for those of you who missed that, that's Carl Perkins, the Jackson legend. So we're going to come back and talk about that on the third segment. So sitting between the Tennessee and Mississippi rivers, this is our Jackson home. And we're back with our Jackson home. I'm here with Bart Swift. And Bart referenced a little while ago that he has a famous father-in-law. Um, Bart, I just can imagine this moment when you started, you know, spending some time with uh, your your soon-to-be wife, and you realize who her father is. <laughs> well, <laughs> it actually, I actually had um, we we had our first date in June of '76, and ultimately got married in May of '77. Um, Two or three years earlier, I had seen her. Well, she is one of the most beautiful women, literally, 
ever in Jackson. Mm -hmm. I know you're looking at me going, well, how in the heck did you? <laughs> but anyway, by chance, we were, I was working downtown at, at that retail clothing store. She was actually, uh, she's three years younger. She was going to Lambeth, but uh, she was working at uh, a, a women's clothing store right where I just had lunch. And the baker's rack is where okay. it was. It, it was Nathan's. Uh, her dad had... Um, been uh, made a deal with Zondervan, which is one of the world's largest Christian pub, the world's largest Christian publisher, I believe, to write a book, his autobiography, Disciple in Blue Suede Shoes. Well, I think Mr. Perkins kind of handed that over to Debbie, who is a very gifted writer. Mm -hmm. There's three other children, three boys. Um, uh, two played with Carl almost his whole mm -hmm. career after leaving Johnny Cash. But all the all the, the children were musically talented and uh, in various ways and uh, but so he kind of handed that book off to Debbie for her to do it mm -hmm. which she did and and finished it it was published and and came out in 76 or 77 and so she had to quit Nathan's to do that but mm -hmm. before she left she was actually leaving and I, I'd never just talk to her a time or two. I, yeah. I knew who she was. She's a beautiful girl. Like any, you're single, any beautiful girl, we'd love to take her out, love to have a date, <laughs> whatever. And yes, Carl, that was an interesting sidebar, but it was really, you know, it was just that at, at that time probably. But um, And I had seen him before a time or two, but didn't, did, certainly did not know him at all. Mm -hmm. And um, But uh, anyway, we so had a little going away party Somehow it ended up I gave her a ride home. And like the next week, Carl had just left Johnny Cash. He was playing the Union City High School Gym. Of course, now that's back in his part of the country. He's from Lake County. Okay. And she called me and asked me to go. Well, I was on cloud nine. <laughs> and I can remember going on his bus, and he was in stage uniform, an, not uniform, outfit. And meeting him and mm -hmm. yeah I mean he was kind of sort of bigger than life I mean really yeah. he was and and uh, of course of course if he'd been if she'd asked me to, as pretty as Debbie is and was if she'd asked me told her her dad was a, worked at the gas station you want to go up there and meet him I'd say great let's go you know? and uh, so anyway but so I did and uh, we just immediately started dating and fell in love and mm -hmm. asked her to marry me and uh um, at first, you know, sort of Miss Perkins was sort of all right with it, but this was his only daughter, and I was totally clueless. I remember them saying, well, now we're going to have to go easy telling, telling Carl, you know, this. And I was like, why? What? I don't, you know. <laughs> now with a, grand, with a daughter and now a granddaughter, I, I understand what they're talking about because <laughs> nobody's good enough for your daughter. But anyway, we did get married. I can tell you, he was nothing but absolutely wonderful to me mm. for 20 was, of his life we married in 77 he passed away in 98 so 21 years most of that time we lived two doors down mm. my daughter who I spoke about just I mean he took her fishing one time I'll never forget she was about eight years old and he said I'd about now here's a guy that's hung out with Johnny Cash Elvis Mm -hmm. 
all the Beatles people I've heard of that would come to see him, like that just revered him, Don Henley, Robert Plant. I mean, I can just go on and Mm -hmm. on and on. Um, He said, Susie Swift, he said, I'd about rather hang out with her than anybody I know. (laughs) And that's just the kind of, I mean, just had a wonderful relationship. Debbie and him were always just very close, being his only daughter. And uh, as I say, he nobody could have been any kinder, nicer to me, you know, than if, whatever his occupation was. Just turned out he had this, I mean, amazing talent. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you got to know him more and more, just the really as I I didn't really know. You know, I grew up. I was born in 51. I kind of remember. I mean, I certainly remember Blue Suede Shoes, mm-hmm. like most people. I, I probably related it more with Elvis than mm-hmm. at the time. But uh, I love telling people that. Yes. They're like Blue Suede Shoes. as like Carl Perkins song. Yes. My, my brother, who is 15 months younger, a retired teacher in Nashville, <clears throat> he, this was sometime way before even that, he... You know, growing up, not knowing any, growing up in Nashville, being around kind of, but we weren't musical people. And, you know, I kind of thought you hear some rock and roll song on the radio, you figured that group wrote it, that group, somebody in the group wrote it, somebody, Mm -hmm. they all recorded it, and they all, all this. Well, I knew nothing about the business. And my brother one time, I can remember like yesterday, he said, do you know who wrote wrote Blue Suede Shoes? And I went, it was Presley. I mean, I was was probably like 17 or 18. Yeah. Mm-mm. It was Carl Perkins. I went, okay, wow. I mean, I didn't really know. You know, I just yeah. did not know. But then you come to find out. I mean, here's the, here's the amazing thing I can say about people that when you say modern music, people that recorded Carl Perkins' writings, Carl Perkins' music, Elvis, Patsy Cline, yeah. the Beatles, yeah. Johnny Cash, Jimi Hendrix, one of my favorites, by the way. Hmm. Um, George Strait, Dolly Parton. I mean, a literal. I mean, there's. I'm missing something. Oh, it's the Hall of Fame. A who's who of. I mean, you know, one stat. I bet. I bet you may not know. The Beatles. A lot of it's. They're great music. A lot yeah. of it in the music business, it's about the money. Yeah. You know, you want you want to write stuff and record your own stuff if you can because it's make more money. where the money make more money. Well, by that, obviously, unbelievable great song from the Beatles. They recorded most of their stuff was their stuff. Lennon McCartney. I don't think Ringo is writer. George wrote certainly wrote some great songs, um, but they recorded lots of other people. Mm-hmm. But the highest number recorded songs outside the group, what person was that? I'm going to have a guess. Carl Perkins. It's a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's, amazing. That's amazing. See, I didn't know that. I think like maybe now as a group, they recorded the three songs on the Beatles 65 album, Honey Don't, Matchbox, and Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby. Um, but through the years recorded lots of others and when they went on their own continued so probably total recordings i'm not exactly sure 12 or 13 songs at least that's awesome that's amazing yeah of course there's the musical legacy we had ws holland on a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. a lot of fun oh great guy 
What about the impact on Jackson? Well, you know, the, the biblical story of Jesus going back to Galilee and mm-hmm. preaching and people were saying, No honor in his hometown. Isn't, isn't, isn't that that carpenter's son? Uh-huh. Isn't, that that, isn't that that boy that in that? And, you know, he had to move on. And it wasn't that for Carl. But it, it took kind of a long time in Jackson because of, I remember Debbie saying one time, and let's see, I was in the seventh or eighth grade when the Beatles, seventh grade, I think, when the Beatles came out. Debbie would have been in the fourth grade. And so in 65, maybe Debbie was, Debbie and Stan would have been in the fifth or sixth grade, something mm-hmm. like that. And somebody said, they said, well, hey, the Beatles are good. The Beatles, when they came out, I mean, it was the biggest thing ever, just seemed like. Yeah. Except, I mean, I know the Elvis era people, that that was the biggest. And Frank Sinatra, that was the biggest. But the Beatles, that was the biggest thing going on that, at that time. And when they said, hey, the Beatles are going to record three of Carl Perkins. So I know people at school, they said, no, they're not. Yeah. Why would they? Mm-hmm. They would almost say, "This here's a washed-up guy that wrote did that one hit a few years ago." Mm-hmm. Well, that I'm not saying that, of course. Yeah. And you know they weren't saying that. Mm-hmm. They revered him, and mm-hmm. you know they just could not believe it at that. And and once again, when he he kind of got back on his feet, went to work with Johnny Cash, wrote "Daddy Sing Bass," wrote other songs, and he became more revered and it takes a while for to get that legendary status and it did and but Carl always always when he went somewhere Jay Leno uh, any show he was on and any just any big show he's on he always mentioned Jackson Tennessee always Mm -hmm. from way back when he helped with the cerebral palsy telethon Mm -hmm. he was was part of helping and named for him the child mm-hmm. abuse center. Yeah. Uh, from from not so much experiences he had, but things he saw, mm-hmm. not only as a child but as an adult, and and wanted to do that. And and one of the most successful nonprofits in this town, sadly, Absolutely. but it, it but the success of it and what it's doing is obviously Amazing. awesome. Yeah. Sad we need it, but but. Uh, so that, and, and I mean, he was willing to help. And I will say this, you know, you're helping something like that and you're on a telethon, you're, you're sort of out there. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, I can't tell you the number of people he helped behind the scenes yeah. just with his own money, mm-hmm. never know it. And he just was, uh, he had a great heart. He really did. And so anyway, it's, it's amazing too. Because I, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't grow up with him. He grew up in Nashville. You might occasionally hear about somebody but uh, you didn't really know anybody and to really it was a such a unique experience to really 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 get to know somebody mm-hmm. that's that famous and that that well known and for it's always heartwarming for me when you see these people that we give so much attention to and listen to their music or watch their movies or cheer for them in sports when it turns out they're a legitimately great person yeah uh, not everybody is like that. Well, you you may not know, and one of the things I w- again I would like to say about him, and this this kind of not only my background in customer service, but and and as a Christian, you're taught this, you know, how you treat the least of these. But he grew up just about as poor as you could be. Mm-hmm. Two brothers, three boys sleeping in the same bed in a two room uh, sharecropper shack, mm-hmm. no electricity. 
listening to the bat- battery radio, saving it for Saturday night so they could listen to the Grand Ole Opry. Mm-hmm. Uh, working those fields up in Lake County. Um, eighth grade education. He told a story one time about he got he, he never would wear corduroy pants. He hated corduroy pants. I'd say hate. He didn't like corduroy pants. One time he was playing some football with some guys back in Lake County when he was in, I don't know, sixth or seventh grade, something like that, fifth grade. <clears throat> and this guy said to him, said something to him, he said, Hey, those are my pants. We gave them away to the poor kids and he not only did it turn him against corduroy pants <laughs> which I actually like but but he always you know he didn't look at himself of being on top and Carl I don't know how to what a way to say this but it, Carl's later life became quite wealthy not only in his fame his respect his thing he he became did very well financially. Mm-hmm. And he always said, you know, he was on the bottom. He wouldn't even say he was on top, but mm-hmm. anybody in the world, most average citizen, you say, you've got this much fame, you've got your family together, you've got this much money, you're, you've got it all. You, you, you got it, yeah, you're pretty far up the ladder. And, yeah. but he never wanted to look, be like that. And he always said, you know, he, he said, you know, I never wanted anybody feeling like, mm-hmm. Big me, little you, and he was huge on that. And when they traveled with the band, if I remember a situation where one of the band members was sort of talking down and mistreating a waitress, mm-hmm. that person was gone the next time they got home. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wouldn't tolerate it. And so, you know, he he really learned that. I mean, he he learned that from his youth and um, he, he lived by it and tried to treat people well and treat everybody well and that's a you know when when you're at that level it always speaks well of anybody yeah, but, but you know more so you really appreciate you said well, I mean when you meet successful people and they're really nice I mean yeah. it just it's amazing you know to yeah anyway well, well uh, just a reminder that we need to give Tennessee credit for music absolutely uh, it's a good Carl Perkins song and, uh, and then, uh, I, I've been I've been sitting on that one for at least five minutes now. And but, but but think about that. Yeah. Memphis. Sun Records. Yeah. Nashville. Change the country world. music. East Tennessee. The bluegrass. Mm-hmm. How is it, if you dip down, you know, 50, 60 miles, and Memphis has the blues too, but you know, zip down however far it is to Clarksdale. How did it happen on this one strip? Mm-hmm mostly through Tennessee, that just about every part of modern music was created. Yeah, it's I mean, pretty amazing. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 And, and your father-in-law had a lot he of He was a, a big part of it, no doubt about it. Well, Bart, thank you so much for joining us today and for making Jackson, Tennessee home and helping thank, make thank it a better you. place. Well, um, well if, you, uh, if you ever see Bart, hopefully it's not at the court um, but uh, make sure you say hi um, thank you so much for being on today uh, we've I've had a great time and uh, we will uh, this is it so thank you so much thank you thank you, thank you Kevin and uh, we'll see you next time on our Jackson Home 
Today's podcast was produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Kevin Adelsberger. Our intro music was performed by Aaron Harden. We recorded this live at The Co. To find out more about The Co., visit their website at www.attheco.com. And to find out more about how amazing Jackson is, visit ourjacksonhome.com. Thank you.